When you lose, it hurts. It's hard. But it's also why winning is so great in this league, because it's not easy to do. And when you get them, man, it's special. I'm just, man, I'm proud of those guys. I'm proud of them. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills. Really, other than hockey, or maybe NASCAR, golf, I think I'm a fan of all sports. They're, they're the niche ones. Like, I don't really get golf, but I like watching it. I, I appreciate hockey, although I don't know much about it. I'll watch some playoff games. It's fun. But other than some of those sports, I, I watch everything. Love basketball. Love baseball. Love football, the pros, and college. We've already been talking about college basketball. I love it. Sometimes I think I try to get a little cute. And I try to argue, well, actually, I like baseball more than football. Or, I, you know, the NBA, that's my favorite league. The NBA, the basketball is best. You cavemen, you might like football. That could be your favorite, but that's that's not for me. This weekend reminded me why football is just America's sport. Baseball might be our national pastime, but they're on a lockout right now. I really like the NBA. I, I still think it's probably my favorite league, but this weekend just reminded me, maybe reminded you too. This is just an American game. God, I love football. It's the best. Conference championships on Saturday. So many good stories. The playoff setup, I think, like a lot of people wanted. Cincinnati was able to stay in there. The Big Ten gets its team in Michigan. Georgia and Alabama are both very good. I don't know that anybody's going to complain that the SEC got two teams. Just great. Just excellent. And then yesterday, even though the Packers didn't play, and some of the games were weird, and there weren't a lot of awesome, really good, meaningful games as far as the playoff picture goes. God, football is football is so great. And you see this weekend how much one football game means. Basketball, you play 82. Baseball, you play 162. And you lose one, hey, come back the next day, get after it. No, winning and losing is life or death in college football and in the NFL. And I put Dan Campbell, the head coach of the Lions, I put his voice in the intro. He's saying, losing sucks, but that's what makes winning great. It's so hard to do in the NFL, and it's so hard to do in college. Nothing is handed to you. Right? If you suck and you don't have it together, you're going to go 0-16, 0-17. Lions didn't have a win yet, and they finally got one yesterday. Winning means everything, and that's unique to football. This weekend really made me appreciate football. My name is Grant Bills. This is the Wisco Sports Show, and I hope you had an excellent weekend. When the Packers are on bye, we, we have a little bit of an opportunity maybe to take the weekend off from football, and maybe that's what you did yesterday. Maybe yesterday you thought, you know what? The Packers aren't playing. I'm going to do this. You know, we're going to make plans to go Christmas shopping or we're going to get this done or, I don't know, we're going to winterize the the convertible or the boat. I don't know, it's December, so it'd be a little late for that. But maybe you plan things specifically during the Packers' bye week because you know you don't have to watch the games. So you take the whole day off. That's the case. I gotcha. We're going to talk about lots of games today, even though the Packers didn't play because I went all out yesterday. I watched them all. And maybe you're like me. Maybe you watch more football when the Packers are on bye because you don't have to watch the Packers. You can watch everybody else. So whatever boat you're in, should have something for everybody today. I want to talk about the rest of the teams in the Packers division, the Vikings, the Lions, the Bears. Talk about some of these other games. The Bucks had a really interesting weekend as well. They beat the Heat, even without Giannis. Hmm, interesting. I love watching the Heat lose. I'm excited to talk about that for a few minutes. And the Badgers are in a bowl. They didn't play in the Big Ten Championship game this weekend. But, as we paraphrased P.J. Fleck last week, the Badgers might not go to Indy, but they still get to be co-runners up in the Big Ten West. 
That's that in and of itself is a gift. And the players who stay will be champions. Once again, quoting P.J. Fleck from a couple of years ago, the Badgers are headed to the Las Vegas Bowl to play Arizona State. And I'm pretty sure, based on what I heard and read from Zach and Saver or else, uh, this is the first time they've played the Sun Devils since that weird late-night game where I personally think they got kind of screwed uh, down in Tempe, what was that, like 10 years ago? Long time since they've played. So we have a bowl game to talk about as well, but mostly NFL today, and I'd love to hear from you. Send me a text, 608-796-2558. Excuse me, I'll start taking calls here in about 20 minutes. Follow me on Twitter, tweet me during the show or whenever, at Wisco Grant. That's another really good way to get in touch with me and be a part of the show as well. I want to dig into some of the games from yesterday. The Vikings, the Bears, college football, yada, yada, yada. A lot of football this weekend. Before we do that, I want to take a holistic look at the whole weekend. Some parts of Saturday, some parts from yesterday. And when I was getting ready for the show today, I was remembering something that Mike Clemens told me last Thursday before he came on the show and we were talking off the air. And I, okay, you sent me some A.J. Dillon cuts. We're going to talk about A.J. Dillon. And he said, yeah, you know what, Grant? I think people just like some positivity every once in a while. You know, the Packers are injured and we got to deal with COVID and all this other crap, this drama. You know what? A.J. Dillon loves Green Bay. And he loves Door County, and that's a fun story. That's positive, and people like positivity because we do enough complaining and whining and yelling about our teams. Let's, let's be positive. That's what Mike told me last week, and I was like, yeah, I, I kind of like that. Positivity. And there were a lot of positives to take away from this weekend. Now, if you're a Vikings fan, you probably feel differently. And if you're a Bears fan, you might feel a little differently, although I don't think a lot of Bears fans expected to win yesterday, so that probably changes how Bears fans are feeling today. But overall, as a football fan, a lot of feel-good stories and feel-good outcomes from this weekend. And I just wrote down a couple that I wanted to talk about to start the show as a tribute to our friend Mike Clemens, who will join the show tomorrow. Some positivity. I want to start on Saturday and work forward chronologically. Saturday, conference championships. So the SEC between Georgia and Bama. Bama won. I don't know why any of us are surprised by that. Uh, Houston, Cincinnati. Cincinnati looked great. That's a feel-good story. Baylor beating Oklahoma State, which saved us some potential mess with Oklahoma State maybe having a case to get in the top. The ACC championship game, anyone remember who played in that? Yeah, Wake Forest and Pittsburgh, of course. Two teams we're always thinking about. Uh, but I want to talk about the Big Ten championship game. Michigan beat Iowa 42-3. to I get that we all fan differently, and I say that as a verb. We all practice our fandom differently, especially for college sports. And we touched on this at the end of last week, especially with the Marquette-Wisconsin thing. By the way, Wisconsin looked great against Marquette. Yeah. We all fan a little bit differently, especially in college sports. And that's cool. Like, I sometimes, I'll watch Marquette, and I'll pull for him in the tournament, especially late in the year. But some of you who maybe went to Madison or live in Madison, you feel differently. So I think geography matters. I think what school you went to matters. I like pulling for other Big Ten schools in the playoff and in bowls. You don't have to, but I like to, right? I'm happy for Jim Harbaugh. He's not my favorite person. I've been very annoyed by him at times, especially when his teams beat up on our teams, whether it be the Packers or the Badgers. But honestly, I'm happy for Harbaugh. He's been at Michigan seven years, and it hasn't exactly been a linear progression. He started out pretty good, and then there were some lean years, and there were some ups and downs. It wasn't easy for him. He had to adjust and rethink his offense and get a new offensive coordinator and work through the quarterback position. And I think a lot of fans became unhappy with him at Michigan, and he fought through a lot. And I'm happy for Jim Harbaugh for the same reasons that I was so happy for Giannis when he won his title, other than that he plays for my team and he plays in Milwaukee, right? I like individuals in sports that have to work hard to overcome. And I'm not just talking about LeBron and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh 
losing to Dallas once so they could come back and basically coast to a title the next year and whoop up on the Thunder. No, I'm talking about years. Like how Jordan and the Bulls had to work to get past the Pistons. Like, it shouldn't take one year. It shouldn't happen right away. That's not why we like sports. We like overcoming adversity, and Harbaugh has to work at it for a long time and overcome a lot of different things. Michigan is a rival. They're not my favorite team. Harbaugh's been a rival to my teams. He's not my favorite, but I'm happy for him. And also with that win on Saturday, which locked up a spot in the college football playoff, he earns a bonus of a million and a half dollars that he's going to give back to those that work in the Michigan Athletic Department that had to take pay cuts during the pandemic, which is really refreshing seeing what we've seen with Lincoln Riley, who's like, well, you're going to get both of my homes. You're going to buy me a new one. I want to use the private jet and give me $10 million a year. And then Brian Kelly, who takes $10 million a year to leave Notre Dame in the middle of the night, only to show up at the basketball game in Baton Rouge and say, it's a great day to be a Tiger, right? Jim Harbaugh, why could you not be happy for him? How could you not be happy for him? Again, we all fan differently, especially in college sports, but I'm happy for Jim Harbaugh. You don't have to agree. Maybe you think Harbaugh sucks and you want every other team in the Big Ten to lose. And that's cool. I'm just telling you how I feel. Moving on. Yesterday, few teams that I felt happy for. Once again, we're doing a positive open today. A lot of feel-good stories from this weekend. One team that I felt very happy for was the Dolphins. They beat the Giants, who should be relegated. God, they bother me. Even when they're all healthy, they bother me. But now they're banged up and we're watching Mike Glennon. I'm really happy for Tua. I'm not a Dolphins fan. I don't really care about the Dolphins. I like Mike Gusecki. I like Jalen Waddell. I guess I like some of the individuals on the team, but I especially like Tua because this season started with all of the questions over the offseason and into training camp. Is Tua really the Dolphins guy? Is, is Tua really? Is, is he good? Is Tua the, Are they happy with Tua or are they going to draft another quarterback? That was the entire offseason around Miami. So Tua's having to deal with that. And then all throughout the season, especially early and obviously before the trade deadline, it's all Deshaun Watson rumors, and is Miami going to make a move? Is Tua good enough, or they don't want to upgrade with Deshaun Watson? And then Tua's getting asked about that in press conferences, and he's having to answer questions about it, and that sucks for him. And he answers questions with a smile, and he seems so genuine and heartfelt, and he's been really good the last couple of weeks. And that makes me happy, because I like seeing people like Tua succeed. Completion percentage the last three weeks for Tua Tungavailoa, 81%, 87%, 84%. I don't know if Tua is going to be a great starter in the NFL for a long time, but I do know this. Quarterbacks take typically a year or two, sometimes three. It's not very common where they go from bad to great in the third year later, like we saw Josh Allen, but we have seen it with Josh Allen. Normally, the first year is kind of a wash. Tua's dealt with injuries. He's dealt with all these other things. There's still plenty of time for him to prove that he's good. I don't want to throw him to the side, right? I also know about quarterbacks that accuracy is a trait that you can really not do without, right? Like, if your footwork kind of sucks, okay, you can work through that. If your ability to read a defense kind of sucks, oh, okay, we can deal with that. If you're not super physically big and tall and imposing, okay, well, Russell Wilson isn't huge and Drew Brees wasn't huge. Okay, but if you're accurate, you can deal with all those other issues. And Tua is accurate. That's a great starting point. That's a great foundation to have. And I just really like him. I really like Tua. He seems like such a nice guy. He did an interview with Jalen Waddell and who was it? It wasn't Jenny Taft. It was the other girl who works at Fox. I can't remember her name. Just really likable. And considering all that he's had to deal with, the Deshaun Watson rumors, and he had to deal with the offseason storyline of whether or not the Dolphins might actually draft another quarterback because they had a lot of draft capital. Instead, they trade up with the Eagles to take Jalen Waddell, which he's kind of worked out, but also 
without a first-round pick. That kind of sucks. Trading up for a player that's not a quarterback is tough, but that's not the point. Two has had to overcome a lot, and now they're winning, and they're on a little bit of a streak, and that makes me happy because I really like Tua. Lastly, another team that I'm happy for, the Lions. And I don't want to make this about the Vikings. The Vikings are the team that lost to the Lions. And we'll talk about the Vikings coming up next. Right now, I just want to focus on Detroit. I want to make this a positive thing for the Lions and not a negative thing for the Vikings. Because I'm a little bit of a sucker for the Lions. I've wanted to see them get their first win for the last month. And they've been close. They were close with Pittsburgh when they tied. And they were close on Thanksgiving. And I so desperately wanted them to win on Thanksgiving. I really wanted them to beat the Bears. No shade to Bears fans. It's not really anti-Bears. It's not really anti-Vikings yesterday either. I just want to see Detroit win. Because I really like Dan Campbell. I don't really know if he's a great schematic coach, an X's and O's guy, but I really like him. Because when I watch press conferences, and when I listen to him talk, and I see him interact with his team, it matters to him. It's not even the the bravado and talking about the the biting off of kneecaps and the we're going to be a tough team and we're going to be gritty. Like, put all that to the side. It matters to him. Like When his team loses, you can tell he hurts with his players. He feels those losses like his players feel those losses. And when he loses and his team loses, he gets up to that podium and it's like, he feels bad. Like he let down his players, like he let down the fans. It matters to him. And not to pick on Matt Patricia, because I really don't care about Matt Patricia, but he always seemed to separate himself. It's like, well, these guys, we got to get better at this. And, you know, they need to look at the film. It's it's they, it's they, it's they. I'm the coach, they're the players, right? Or McVay, a couple of times, Sean McVay with the Rams this year. He's not called out his players, but just the way that he's talked after losses, like, hey, our best players didn't play their best, and that has to change, right? We made, our, our players made uncharacteristic mistakes. I, I get it's a little thing, but McVeigh sometimes seems to separate himself. Like, he's the parent, and he's talking about his, his toddlers. He drops off at daycare. Or Patricia. With Dan Campbell, he is a part of the team. He is of the team. And I want to see him celebrate with his team because he so much feels the losses with his team. And I think Dan Campbell right now is the guy that Detroit needs. Now, he'll need to keep a great staff together and improve and get smarter about game management and scheme, and you need the good OC and the DC, and all all that's really important. But I think especially to Detroit, a team that's been so bad for so long, and not just like the Bears who've been bad for a long time, but they have history, or the Vikings have been to Super Bowls. Man, Detroit has nothing, and they've never really had anything. We forget about the Lions. And the Lions, uniquely as an organization, I think needs someone like Dan Campbell. Someone who values the chance literally every day to just wake up and be an NFL head coach. I think he walks into the organization every day and thinks, wow, how lucky am I? And I think that rubs off on his players. And his players make the most of it. They're like 8-4 and against the spread this year. They're a team that does nothing but lose. And yet every weekend we walk away thinking, man, the Lions are right there. They play hard and they fight and they've been right there so many times. And yet week in and week out, they show up with a couple of exceptions, but a team this bad, they're not going to win by or lose by three points every week. They're going to have stinkers too. I think Dan Campbell's wrapped his arms around that job, and I think the city is important to him, and Detroit is important to him. And he said this after the game yesterday, and this is this is what Detroit needs. This is what the Lions need. First thing I'm going to start with, uh, this game ball goes to the whole Oxford community. All those were affected. Um, and that being said, man, I just, you know, I just I want us to not forget these names, Madison Baldwin, Hannah St. Juliana, Justin Schilling, Tate Muir, Phoebe Arthur, uh, John Ashuto, Riley France, Elijah Mueller, 
Kylie Osiji, Aiden Watson, and Molly Darnell, who's a teacher. Um, those those names um, for all those uh, you know will never be forgotten, and they're in our hearts and our prayers, and all the families, and not to mention all those that were affected. I love Dan Campbell. This is a Dan Campbell show. I'm happy for Jared Goff. He's not that good, but he's also not the pile of stinking garbage that he's made out to me. And I like seeing this team winning. I'm happy for them because I know it means the world to Dan Campbell because he hurts with his team when they lose, and now it makes me happy that he gets to celebrate with them. I tweeted this earlier today at Wisco Grant. I think this sums up Vikings-Lions yesterday. That game was the masculine version of a Hallmark movie. Like, for every reason that your mom or your wife or your grandma or your sister or your aunt loves watching Hallmark movies this time of year, men liked watching that game yesterday. It wasn't well-produced. The, the cast isn't good. The, the players aren't very good. The coaching wasn't very good. It was on at noon. The production value wasn't very high. But you know what? All of that stuff put to the side, it made you feel good watching it. And you know what? In a month or two, we're probably not going to think about it. But, man, in the moment, yesterday's game, the Lions getting their first win and seeing all of that happening, that made me feel good inside. And I'd like to think that that's what Hallmark Christmas movies are about, right? And I tweeted that earlier today at Wisco Grant. Now, the other half of this Lions win was the Vikings losing. And we should probably talk about that coming up next. Now, if you're a Vikings fan listening, a Minnesota sports fan who's listening, I'm not going to do the whole bragging thing. It's so dumb. And I said this a couple weeks ago with the Bears. The, the, the rivalry's dead. The Bears-Packers rivalry, we're not going to play. The Bears still suck. That's lame. And I'm not going to make fun of the Vikings. You've never made the Super Bowls. No, we're going to talk about the game, and we're going to talk about what the Vikings should do next and where they go from here. Not going to gloat. So let's take a break. Back in three minutes to talk more about this game here on the Wisco Sports Show. First victory of the year on the line. Goff's got it. Back. Looks. Throws. And yes. Touchdown, Detroit Lions. They did it. Amon Ross, they brought in the receiving end. Oh, they're rushing the field. They've done it. Three zeros on the clock. This game is over. It's over. Jared Goff. To Amon Ross St. Brown, his first career touchdown. And how big is that? Oh, my goodness. He goes out of the shotgun. He takes the snap from Mevin Brown. He's going to fire to the end zone. It's caught. Touchdown, Detroit Lions. And these cardiac kiddies have beaten the Minnesota Vikings and won a game for the first time in 364 days. The game-winning touchdown was caught by Amon Ra St. Brown. And for that young man, his first National Football League touchdown is a memorable one. It beat the Minnesota Vikings 29-27. Wisco Sports Show, that is Paul Allen. KFAN Radio Network. As the Lions get their first win, which makes me really happy. And I think I talked about it for like 10 minutes right before we took that last break. And that's independent of them beating the Vikings. I understand this is a Wisconsin sports show. We talk about the Packers. We're Packers fans. But I'm just happy to see the Lions beat anyone. I probably would have done the same speech, the same lead, if they would have won on Thanksgiving, if they would have beat the Steelers. I just really like Dan Campbell. I think it matters to him. I think he's the guy that Detroit needs, at least in spirit. Maybe he needs a different OC or DC or different scheme, but I think personality-wise, and I think fit, is really good in Detroit. And they need a different type of cat, don't they? They've been irrelevant forever. Like, if a player gets drafted to the Lions, it's almost like they have to take a different approach with that player or a free agent because it's just, they're a marked franchise. 
And Dan Campbell, I think, walks into that facility every day amped up to be there because he gets another opportunity and one more day as an NFL head coach. And I think that's the attitude they need. Players like Jamal Williams, right? Guys like that that I'm happy for the Lions. Now, the Vikings. They're the other half of this game. I'm not here to gloat. I don't punch down, right? Some shows might, but I don't. We don't do the skull, LOL, LOL. We don't play the Bears still suck, right? Green Bay could lock up the division next week. And it's barely St. Nick's Day. This division's dead. It's over. None of these rivalries are hot and burning. It brings me no joy to watch the Vikings lose, except because I got to see the Lions win. That's really more important to me. Um, The only reason that I play Paul Allen's radio call at all is not to laugh at his misery or anything like that. It's simply to just maybe bring it up because after the Packers game a couple of weeks ago, Paul Allen said this, so I I felt it was warranted. You know what? I'm going to take the high road on this Green Bay Packers coach looking at me saying, you better not talk into that microphone and give your team any credit. I'm going to take the high road on it and say I'm very impressed with the Green Bay Packers finding a way to win eight games despite all those injuries, A-Rod's toe, COVID, lying and everything. So I'm not, you know, going to say to that coach what I wanted to say, like, (laughs) you can go ahead and put Eric Stokes and Justin Jefferson the rest of his career. And like he did in 2019 when he was with LSU and Stokes was with Georgia, he killed him. And he killed him again today, and he will kill him every single time they meet. So I'm going to end it right like that. Um, I got to say, in my 20 years of calling Vikings games, that's about the first time I've ever had a coach say something like that to me. So best of luck to you guys the rest of the way. And quite honestly, I hope you lose every single freaking game the rest of the year. Uh, Well, the Vikings haven't won since that moment. And you know what? I don't really care because I I don't care. It's just, but Paul Allen brings up the Packers. I think if you are brought up, if there's a shot fired, you can rebut. There should be a chance to have a rebuttal. So there's the rebuttal. And I don't care anymore about Paul Allen. Let's talk about the Vikings. Vikings fans, I'm going to lean into the mic. I'm going to get a little more comfortable here. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, it's something different every week. I grew up very close to Minnesota. I have a lot of friends who are Vikings fans, some family members. Like, I, I don't wish misery on you guys. Now, you're a rival, and I like the Vikings to lose because that makes the Packers' life easier, winning division all that, but the division's locked up. It brings me no joy to walk into work and see my coworkers who are Vikings fans and give them the middle finger. Like, no, I'm sorry. It's something different every week for you guys, and you live a tortured existence. And it brings me no joy. It, it just doesn't. I'm sorry. I really, I feel for you, right? It's something different every week. Last week against the Niners, it was Kirk. And we're going to talk more about Kirk in about an hour. I have some numbers that I want to share with you. It was Kirk last week. And then this week, like, sure, Kirk had a slow first half, but this week, Zimmer's defense goes to hell, right? And since they're by in week seven, we're talking about the Vikings by, the Packers on by this week. Since the by, Zimmer's defense is 29th in EPA per play. The Vikings defense is 30th overall total. That's their worst defense since Leslie Frazier's final season in 2013, meaning this is the worst defense the Vikings have had under Mike Zimmer since he got there in 2014. And Mike Zimmer has famously said maybe more than once, you know, I don't have bad defenses. It's not what we do. And look, I said it before. I'll say it a million times. Mike Zimmer will maximize whatever personnel you give him defensively. Now, if you give him trash personnel, which at times he's had because of injuries or youth or whatever, now there's a ceiling on what he can do, but he's always going to maximize who he has. He's not doing that right now, unless you believe his personnel to be that bad, which I don't believe it to be this bad. The Vikings defense is really, really bad. And that's Mike Zimmer's defense. Now, if you go on social media, I don't spend as much time on Facebook, but I'm assuming Facebook is the same as Twitter. 
Twitter says every coach is terrible and every coach should be fired. When I'm scrolling through Twitter during games, you know how often I see, oh, this coach is an idiot. How does he have a job? How, how, do, how do these coaches have jobs? They're such idiots. Really? Now, they might make mistakes. You don't make mistakes at your job. I made a mistake last night. Our station here in Lacrosse is playing uh, Westwood One. We were playing Sunday Night Football, and I forgot to turn our stream on for like the first couple minutes of the game. It was silent. Make mistakes all the time. Does that mean I should be fired? Well, actually, maybe. Hopefully, my boss didn't notice. Maybe he'll be waiting for me after the show because <laughs> I messed that up. We all make mistakes, okay? And it's always so extreme. This coach is an idiot. Should be fired. Shouldn't even be a coordinator. How did this guy get a head coaching job? Okay, well, look. There are some bad coaches. Hey, but it's not as bad as everybody wants to make it out to be. Everyone wants to fire everybody all the time. And I don't want to be a part of that. And I'm not going to sit here and yell that Zimmer is an idiot and that he should be gone. I saw a lot of people, even people that I respect a lot, and I love their opinion. I saw Bill Simmons tweeting about this yesterday. And I believe Bill Simmons to be much more of a basketball guy. But even on football, he's done sports a long time. He's like, Zimmer should not coach another game. It's like, well... Let's all calm down, okay? I'm not going to sit here and say that Zimmer should be fired and he should be gone and they should clean house. But here's what I will say, okay, Vikings fans? This is what I present to you on the Mike Zimmer front, who I like. I like Mike Zimmer. I've said a million times, I want to go ice fishing with the guy. I bet it'd be a blast. I'd love to sit there and pick his brain and talk to him about football and throw in a hammer and turn on the Vexlar and just do some jigging, right? That sounds like a blast to me. Here's what I will pose to you, okay? This is, I'm going to set this up on the Mike Zimmer front. What's going to change? Hmm? What's, what's going to get better? Or even better question, what has changed since 2017? Because Zimmer was building, this team was building. 2017, they make the NFC Championship game. Really good roster. That's probably where the roster peaked. And then they get Kirk Cousins the next year with, by and large, the same roster. Not exactly, but by and large. And ever since then been a little bit of entropy every single season one guy leaves another guy gets hurt one guy gets traded and it's just a slow trickle and this team gets worse and worse and worse so moving forward this is what i'll ask you about mike zimmer i'm not gonna say that zimmer should be fired and spielman should be fired and the house should be clean this is what i'll say okay what's gonna change and what has changed the last couple of years they signed patrick peterson pretty much like they tagged anthony harris much of the same right they got dalvin tomlinson Basically the same as last year trading for Yannick Ngankwe. All of these moves have been marginal moves. There's been little drips on the radar, blips on the radar, drips in the bucket, whatever expression, right? They've signed so many of these guys that just aren't that good. Xavier Woods or Sheldon Richardson. Those aren't signings that take you from a 9-7 and team to a 12-4 and team. Or I guess now you factor in the 17th game. So it's like those moves don't take you from being 9-8 and to 13-4. and It's bizarre. You get my point. These are moves that just kind of keep the status quo the same. And Matthew Collar, who joined the show two weeks ago to preview Packers Vikings, Purple Insider, he made this point on his podcast. It's like shuffling deck chairs around on the Titanic. You do it all you want. It's it's not really going to change things. And to be fair to the Vikings and you guys, Vikings fans, they compete. It's not like they hit an iceberg and are crashing and aren't winning any games like the Lions. But they've lost to Cooper Rush at home off a bye, and yesterday they lost to the winless Lions. Now, they might even make the playoffs. And we're going to talk about that coming up next. I think the seventh seed is a terrible idea for the NFL, for teams like the Vikings. The Vikings can still make the playoffs. But moving forward, big picture, what's going to get better next year? Or better yet, think about the last couple. What has gotten better? And when you consider that, it might be time to make a change. I'm not saying, can Zimmer clean house? I, I don't know. There's a lot of people who yell that coaches should be fired. I'll let those people handle it. Just think about what has changed and what might change moving forward. And the Wolves are probably thinking, eh, 
Not a whole lot, which is probably at some point meaning they're going to take a change in direction. Let's talk more about this coming up next. I want to talk about some other games, the Vikings included, and why the seventh seed is a trap, and it's terrible. I also want to talk about the Bears, who played yesterday and lost, another divisional rival of the Packers. All that coming up first, a five-minute break. Be right back on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show, my name is Grant Bills, and I hope you had an excellent weekend. Going to continue talking about some of the NFL games yesterday, the Vikings. We haven't brought up the Bears yet. We're going to get to them. Uh, on the pop culture side of things, really quickly, because now that's the new thing. It's sports and pop culture. We can't just uh, do sports. Succession last night was unreal. The season has... Uh, first, the first five or six episodes were great. The last two have been nuts. That's all I'll say. If you're not watching, you should be. Uh, also, on the music side of things, for the Deadhead crowd, found an album today that I love. And maybe the hardcore Deadheads, you listen to this all the time, and I'm the idiot for just finding it, but... My buddy, who's a big deadhead, I have a friend who lives in Montana and we'll send each other songs back and forth, sent me some Europe 72 stuff today. Frankfurt, West Germany. Wow. Uh, April 26, 1972. Excellent. Great Jack Straw. Great China Cat. Black-throated Wind is excellent. Just really good. So I would recommend that. West Germany, Frankfurt, 426, 1972. Excellent. That's what I've been listening to today. So there is your pop culture. We get the TV. We get the music. Um, now we just need to do fashion and film, and we'll complete the show. 608-796-2558 is the talk and text line if you'd like to give me a call or a text. You'd be the first. We have complete radio silence today, which much mean or must mean everyone is so enthralled with what I'm saying. Um, the show is so good that you have nothing to add, which, wow, great feeling. But the number, just in case, 608-796-2558. You can tweet me at Wisco Grant as well. Follow me, tweet me, DM me, whatever. That's my Twitter. You can find me there or don't, but you have the option. As I said to start the show, a lot of feel-good stories this week. Harbaugh, I'm happy for him. Maybe as Badger fans, you don't agree, but that's just how I do my college football fandom. I like cheering for other Big Ten teams when they're not playing Wisconsin, right? We talked about that. Talked about Tua, who's on a little bit of a streak. I like that. Talked about the Lions. We didn't even mention Gardner Minshew with the Eagles. Good for Gardner Minshew. Really easy to root for. On a macro level about the NFL, not just this weekend, but on a macro level, I'm not going to lie. I don't feel good. Uh, because I'm looking at the playoff picture, and I got to say, this is gross. I don't I don't like how the playoffs look for the NFC. I mean, or the AFC. The addition of the seventh seed really changes the dynamic because there's all of these teams in play where it's like, you have no business making the playoffs, but they're in the hunt, right? In the AFC, Pittsburgh's right there at six and five. Gross. Indy's there at seven and six, which, let's be honest, we like rooting for Indy. We like Frank Reich, and we like, well, they're tough. They got the O-line and the defense. Darius Leonard just punching balls out, and Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, but they're not that good. The Raiders are right there, 500. In the NFC, the Niners are 6-6. Six and six. They're the 7th seed. Washington, 6-6. Six and six. They're the 6th seed. That's gross. By the way, Vikings, I know you lost yesterday, but you're just one game behind the Washington football team for that 7th seed. I think the 7th seed is a terrible idea. Because Vikings and Vikings fans can say, oh, well, we're right there, right? We're at, well, no, but that's not the point, right? You're not a playoff-level team, even if you make the seventh seed. Don't focus on that. We'll talk about that here in a minute or two. First, let's speak with Chris in lacrosse. Chris, what's going on? Welcome to the show. Hey, 
Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. So you, you've been uh, talking about a couple of things I'd like to, to, to weigh in on. First of all, I'm a big Grateful Dead fan, so um, I'm real partial to their early stuff from the late 60s, Anthem of the Sun, Aoxamoxwell, but also there's a real sweet uh, period of their live shows from the late 70s, which is kind of a cool era. Um, Gardner Minshew, mm-hmm. uh, to me, he is one of the most uh, tragically underrated quarterbacks. This guy, as a rookie, keep in mind, Jacksonville had decided to bring Nick Foles in. He mm-hmm. was going to be their savior. He gets hurt. Minshew comes in and played extremely well, and and he'd be, become a fan favorite. And then last year, they win their first game against the Colts. Then Minshew got hurt. They went into full tank mode. They didn't let him play when he came back healthy. Gardner Minshew is a really good quarterback, and people don't seem to understand that, and I think he showed what he could do. My prediction is he is going to be the next quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, And then I wanted to talk about the Minnesota Vikings. Mm -hmm. I am a Green Bay Packer fan, and I fear the Minnesota Vikings, and I will say this about them. They are 5-7, and and that's true, and their loss yesterday was very painful for them. But they are the only team this year who has led in every single game they've played. And I know every team can say, hey, with a few breaks here and here, we'd have a few more wins. But I'm telling you, (laughs) the Minnesota Vikings can say that they are seven plays away from being 12-0, and we would be talking about them as as the best team in the league. I fear them. I'm concerned that they are going to get the number seven seed, which I think they will. Mm -hmm. Green Bay will get the number two, and they are going to come into Lambeau two weeks after having been in Lambeau and beat us. And and don't think they can't do it because the Vikings are not afraid of the Green Bay Packers, and they are the one team that knows how to beat us. And so I'll hang up and listen. But, uh, uh, but yeah, check out some of that early Grateful Dead, like Anthem of the Sun, and um, because that's really – I mean, that's really how they – uh, got started was uh, kind of doing the psychedelic stuff, but I uh, appreciate you mentioning that. I'm glad you're a fan. Yeah, awesome, Chris. First of all, 10 out of 10 call. Thank you very much. I love the Minshew stuff. I think the one trap we can fall into with Minshew is like, well, he's better than most starters. And, well, no, but he's a player that half of the league should have considered acquiring, right? Like, why didn't the Panthers want to trade for him? Or why didn't the Bears want to trade for him? And I, Andy Dalton's fine, too. I like Minshew a little bit better, but like, why did the Eagles get him for pennies on the dollar? And why did Jacksonville let him go for such, such little, you know, value in return, right? I like Gardner Minshew. A lot of teams could use him. Um, I don't know if, if he's your starter and he's your only plan. You're probably not in a position to contend. But a lot of teams aren't in a position to contend either. Also on the Vikings. I think the Vikings could beat anyone. Absolutely. They could come into Lambeau and beat the Packers. That's what's crazy and what's great about the NFL, right? Anyone can beat anyone any given Sunday, right? The, the problem with the Vikings and this whole thought exercise of saying, well, if you just change these seven plays, they could be undefeated. Well, yeah, but what if uh, the Vikings kicker, Greg Joseph, wouldn't have hit that kick against the Bengals, right? Well, then they could have lost that game. Or what if they lose the coin toss against the Panthers and then they lose that game? So th- this is the problem that I have, and it's an extension of the logic that was used when Kirk Cousins was brought in, right? You can't say, well, if only we can change these things, we'll be fine. Well, no, because not everything else stays the same. You can't say, well, we'll just improve our quarterback and then we'll be great. Well, no, because you can't bank on your defense staying elite. And you can't bank on everyone staying healthy. And you can't bank on this and that and the other thing, right? You don't get to only change one factor while keeping everything else. And that's what they thought when they brought in Cousins. And any thought exercise where you're like, well, they're in all these one-score games, 
Well, sure, they could have beat the Cowboys easily. They could have won yesterday easily, but they also could have easily lost just about every game they've won, right? And I get the, well, you're in close games all the time. Well, they don't play in close games, right? Pull away from some of these really poor teams of which the Lions are one. Let's go back to the phones. Scott, Scott, what's up? Welcome to the show. Hey, Grant. Sorry, I missed the last call. You're talking about Gardner Minshew, and as a resident Jaguars fan, I thought I could comment on Minshew a little bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's the deal. I mean, he doesn't have, like, top arm strength. He's not going to be able to throw that out. He's just not good enough to be, like, a top 15 guy. And the Jags had to get rid of him because he was probably better, you know, than the kid they drafted number one overall. But they were never going to let him be the guy. So they had to get him out of town. And nobody really wanted him, so they just had to take something to get rid of him. So you're saying the the limited value that the Jags got in return, that's an indictment on everyone else, not an indictment on the Jags. I could see it, absolutely. I think there's a lot of front offices that just, for whatever reason, didn't want him, and that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I mean, the, the Jags couldn't keep him because he was probably better than Trevor Lawrence, like, mm-hmm. in the preseason. He's just probably what's going to be further along, but... They had to get Trevor Lawrence on the field because they got to sell tickets yeah. and they got to get this kid playing time. And, you know, Trevor Lawrence is going to be a better pro than Gardner Minshew. I mean, I liked Gardner right. Minshew a lot, but he's kind of just like, you know, he's, you know, he's athletic. He moves around. He can make plays, but he's just not the guy. You know, he was fun to win you like, you know, seven, eight, nine games, but he's not going to be able to take you, you know, further than that. I mean, I liked Minshew a lot. He did win some games, yeah. but he just, you know, he just was never going to be the guy. They had to get rid of him because they needed that path clear for Lawrence. So that way if Lawrence stumbled, they can't be like, well, put Minshew in because there's nobody behind Lawrence. So it's basically Lawrence's show. Yeah. And uh, maybe just maybe Urban Meyer, Meyer didn't even want him around. It. You know, I don't know what Urban Meyer thought of Gardner Minshew, but, you know, so that's the deal. They had to get rid of him. I don't think anybody, you know, was really offering anything for him anyway. So mm-hmm. it's kind of one of those deals. Just take what you can get and move on. Yeah, I guess. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate the call. Goodbye. Goodbye. What, what the hell? But first of all, great call, Scott uh, and Chris of the Cross. I appreciate both of you. What? What is it? I mentioned Gardner Minshew when the phones light up. What am I? I Look, Gardner Minshew fits in this great group of quarterbacks where if you're a middling team and you're trying to figure it out, you're building towards Super Bowl contention, you could do so much worse than Gardner Minshew. A lot of teams, and I think the Eagles, with Jalen Hurts, it's the same thing. Just keep competent quarterbacks so you can evaluate everything else and you can figure out where you're going forward in the future. And this is why I bring up the seventh seed. It's a bad thing for teams that are building towards Super Bowl contention and trying to take steps forward to to winning and to being the the best possible version of themselves. The seventh seed in the playoffs is a bad thing. Just think of the NFC North. For all the teams outside of Green Bay, they're building, right? The Vikings, I guess, obviously aren't ready to win a Super Bowl. And the Bears and the Lions are obviously a couple of steps behind. I think the Bears a few steps behind the Vikings. The Lions a few steps behind them. Credit to Chicago. They made the playoffs as the seventh seed last year, and they weren't satisfied. They're like, hey, we need to keep building. This isn't it. We need to get a new quarterback. We need to do this and that. They didn't hang a banner for making the playoffs. They kept building. The Lions, much of the same. The seventh seed is a trap for middling teams. Because if you make that seventh seed or you're in contention for that seed, it's easy for an organization to say, oh, we'll ju- we just got to get in, and then we have a chance. It's like, well, no, you really don't. You don't have a chance with Taylor Heineke, even though I like him, or Jimmy G, or Big Ben. The Vikings are trapped. They've plateaued. And it sucks considering all the talent they've had come through the building, but you can say this, the same thing about the Packers for the last decade, right? Credit to the Lions, right? They brought in Jared Goff, and they said, look, Jared Goff, you're not terrible. 
You are viable week in and week out. And when you're playing quarterback, we can evaluate everyone and everything around you. And we can make decisions towards the future. Same with Chicago. I know it's ugly and it's clunky and the Matt Nagy thing, the PR optics are sometimes bad. But Dalton only makes $10 million bucks a year and you can evaluate everything around him or Justin Fields when he plays. Andy Dalton makes $10 million bucks. Kirk makes 30 The path forward for Detroit is clear. It doesn't mean it's guaranteed, but it's clear. The path forward for Chicago is clear. You can't say the same, the same thing about the Vikings. Who knows what they're going to do? Who knows what comes next for them? Gardner Minshew is in that group of quarterbacks where you bring him in, great backup, and if he has to start for a portion of the season, everything doesn't go in the tank and the games aren't wasted because you have a viable quarterback that you can play with your wide receivers, your running back, your linemen, your defense, and you can evaluate your team and make future decisions down the line. Gardner Minshew's one of those guys. Goff, even as bad as he is, sometimes he fits that bill. Andy Dalton does as well. The Vikings, who knows? I actually want to talk about the Bears for a couple minutes coming up because I think we learned something about the Cardinals. I don't think we learned anything about the Bears yesterday, but I think we might have learned something about the Cardinals. Let's talk about that coming up next on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Before we're done, I wanted to save ourselves a couple of minutes to talk about the Bears here. Also, Monday Night Football tonight is going to be awesome. It's Patriots at Bills. So the Patriots have won a bunch of games in a row. They seem like they're back, and Mac Jones is the real deal. We'll now go up against the team that was supposed to win your division, and it's in Buffalo, and I'm seeing videos right now. And if you're driving home from work and you haven't seen this, oh, my God, it looks amazing. The wind is howling, and it's snowing, and it looks like a blizzard, and I'm not... I I could not be more amped up to watch this game. And in scrolling Twitter and looking at these videos and what people are saying, I guess there's a huge contingent of football fans that think all teams should play in a dome. Oh, the weather impacts the outcome of the game. Yeah, go cry. Football outside is awesome. And my heart sinks at the thought of the Bears building a new stadium that's a dome. And the Packers were the last team in the NFC North to play outside. Football's meant to be played outside. All right? And if you think different, you can go cry. It impacts the game. Yeah, that's the point. That's the point. Football in the wind and snow is awesome. All right, a couple minutes on the Bears before we take a break, because I said I was trying to save ourselves time by skipping Mike's update, and here I'm rambling about snow. Bears, Cardinals yesterday. Cardinals have been most everybody's number one team. If you listen to podcasts, you watch shows, who's the best team in the NFL this week? And everyone says, it's the Cardinals. How could it not be? Well, it was the Packers last week, and then the Packers were on by, and we don't talk about them, right? That's how the NFL works. Nothing stays the same or stays calm from week to week. Arizona won yesterday. Yep, they beat up on the Bears. And they're clinging to that one seed. Packers right on their heels. They own the tiebreaker. So, obviously, it's close. What I learned yesterday, and when I'm watching this Bears game against the Cardinals, and it was in Chicago, I'm thinking, man, Cardinals better hold on to that one seed. Because if they got to come to Green Bay, God help their soul. Kyler Murray couldn't hold on to the football. And I get it was raining. But, man, in the pregame interview... And the the sideline reporters talking as the game starts. It's like, Kyler Murray said he's only played one outdoors game his entire life, and it didn't go well. I'm like, man, please make this team come play in Green Bay. Early on, they they look like they couldn't figure anything out. And we've talked about the Cardinals, and they're very talented, and they're dynamic, right? They move fast. They hit hard. They force explosive plays. That's good stuff, right? Kyler Murray yesterday turned a third and 10. It was third and goal, but it was like from the 10 or 11. He turned a broken play into a touchdown like that, right? They are a dangerous team. Now, their schedule hasn't been too bad. They're playing a last-place schedule, but they're 7-0 on the road, and they've won all those games by 10-plus points, which is nuts. I don't think that's ever been done before. 
that's the college football equivalent of playing Maryland, Purdue, Rutgers, Northwestern, right? Bad teams, but you smash them all by 30. The Cardinals have been dominant, and they might seem like the best team in the NFL right now. They might be, but a quick word of caution, something that jumped out to me yesterday, and it's a continuation of what we saw in that Thursday night game when the Packers, without any wide receivers, went into Arizona and won. I think you can beat up this Arizona team the same way I think you could beat up the Packers in 2019. I think this Cardinals team is better than the 2019 Packers are. I think they're more talented. I think, well, maybe the coaching's kind of the same because I don't love Cliff Kingsbury and Matt LaFleur was a rookie head coach in 2019. I didn't love Mike Pettin. But I think you can beat up this Arizona team. I think you can run on them. That's what the Packers did. They played the time of possession game. They marched up and down the field. They compressed the game. They stressed offense, and Arizona only made one or two mistakes, but that was it because the Packers played really clean football. The only difference between what happened with the Packers on Thursday night when they won and the Bears yesterday, the Bears turned the ball over. They gave Arizona short field after short field. They had four turnovers yesterday. Now, if you're going to play against the Cardinals and you're going to go the route of dominating them in time of possession, which the Bears did. They have 10 more minutes, 34 minutes to 25, and you're going to rush the ball on them. And David Montgomery was nuts yesterday. He was great. They rushed the ball for 112 yards. You're going to do all that. You need to play a clean game. You need to value every play, every possession, and most importantly, you can't turn the ball over. And that's what the Bears did. If you're going to run the ball and play low and slow, you can't give Arizona extra opportunities. And the Bears did that. The Packers didn't. The Packers didn't. There is a recipe, I think, with which to beat this Cardinals team. It might not be easy, especially if you got to go play them at their place in a dome. But if you can force them to play outside and you can control the clock and you can beat up Kyler Murray and you can physically get after this team, I think you can get them. And yesterday we saw an example, even if the Bears didn't get them, the Bears aren't very good. But we saw it anyways. Let's take a break, get an update from Zach Hyper and talk more football coming up next. tuning in even if it's just for a couple of minutes glad that you're here anything that you may have missed and we've covered a lot of ground today we talked a little bit about the bears and the cardinals in the first half of the show a little bit about zimmer and the future of the vikings and if you missed that and you want to hear it look up the podcast wisco sports show wherever you find your shows apple Podcasts, spotify you can always check out the websites of our fine affiliates as well madcitysportszone.com wktysports.com WAYYradio.com in Eau Claire. And speaking of Eau Claire, Richie has tweeted us. He says, you may remember that Lions win more in the future if it ends up being their only win this year. Maybe. You're right. And then maybe next year they get a quarterback or their roster gets better and they win some more games. Then they continue to get better. Maybe we look at this game as the jumping off point. Or maybe they win this game and then next year they suck also and then they fire everyone and we really, you know, we never think about it again. Thank you, Richie. In Eau Claire, tweeting in at Wisco Grant. Talking text line, 608-796-2558. We talked about the Lions half of this game yesterday. I want to talk about the Vikings half. And in the last half of the show, right about 420, like I said, we talked about the future and maybe what Zimmer and Spielman and what the Wolfs decide to do. I don't want to do that again, uh, but you can find that on the podcast. I want to talk about Kirk Cousins. The last couple of weeks of Kirk Cousins, this man is so hard to talk about. 
it's really difficult to have an intelligent discussion on Kirk Cousins because the half that supports him thinks he's the best and the half that hates him thinks he's the worst. And the truth with Kirk Cousins is so much more complicated and so much more nuanced. You can basically find any stat to make your case with Kirk Cousins, right? If you think he's good, just look at completion percentage, just look at passer rating, all these things. Kirk Cousins has one of the best passer ratings in NFL history, right? Now it helps that he plays in this era where passer rating is a little bit ballooned and all these other things, but there are numbers with Kirk Cousins. You can make any argument about how good he is. You can also look at his record on primetime or his record when playing teams above 500, right? There is a stat for every argument with Kirk Cousins. He's so tough to talk about. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, for example, is being measured on five stats for incentives this year. Five of them. Passer rating, completion percentage, interception percentage, and touchdown passes. Kirk is ahead of Rodgers in four of them, right? Yet, his team isn't playing well, and Kirk isn't in consideration for MVP or any of these awards like Aaron Rodgers might be. Now, the COVID thing and the Pat McAfee saga, that might change his MVP consideration a little bit, but you get my point, right? Kirk is a very different quarterback. What I was thinking about earlier today after watching this game yesterday and, and watching some highlights and looking back at like the last month of the Vikings, which has been a roller coaster, right? Great win against the Chargers, then a terrible game against the Packers, or a great game against the Packers, then a bad one against the Niners, then a terrible game against the Lions, and then don't forget, oh yeah, they also lost to Cooper Rush. There's a lot going on. And thinking about this roller coaster with the Vikings as a whole, I started thinking about Kirk. Kirk needs to be in control. He needs to be in control. Right. You remember that picture a couple of years ago? It went viral of Kirk Cousins. Uh, he was grilling, and he had tinfoil on the grill. Remember that? And I remember a couple of people were dragging him for it. I think it was probably one of the bar stool guys or whatever, which is why I remember it. I think it's maybe Big Cat. It's like, eh, grilling with tinfoil. It's a little eh, kind of a beta man move. Well, I think it actually fits Kirk Cousins. Kirk needs to be in control. He's like, nope, I'm not getting my grill messy. I'm keeping the mess right here on the tinfoil. Right? I am in control. And I'm joking a little bit, but also kind of. Kirk needs to be in control. The problem for Kirk is that football is very noisy. There's a lot of things that go on that are related to luck, related to variance, connected to officiating, connected to injuries. There's a lot that goes on in the sport of football that is outside of the control of the coach or especially the quarterback. But Kirk's a control guy. He needs to be in control. Let's go back to the Packers game. So two weeks ago now. He had five turnover-worthy plays against the Packers and against the Chargers. That's a pro football focus stat. That doesn't mean he turned the ball over five times. It means he put the ball in the line of fire, a turnover-worthy play, five times in two games. He had six of those throws the previous eight games combined, right? So the first eight games of the season, super conservative, super careful, not really letting the ball rip a whole lot. But then in the Chargers game, lets it rip. Oh, great game. They win. He lets it rip against the Packers. Ooh, great game. They won. He started cutting it loose, and his team reaped the benefits. The offense was better, and they won more games. Now, some of that is related to good luck, right? Darnell Savage had some shots and interceptions. Didn't come up with it. Rasul Douglas had a chance to pick off a pass down the left sideline that was going to Adam Thielen, and he just misread it. Like, Kirk Cousins had turnover-worthy plays. Like I said, they weren't great throws, but they were aggressive throws. Then there were some great ones. Don't get me wrong, right? But Kirk got more aggressive in those two games relative to the early season. The problem is that luck started to run out a little bit because in the Niners game, he had, a, he had an interception, right? So the first half, the Vikings are hanging in there. They're playing well. They're trading 
blows with the Niners. They're scoring touchdowns. And then in the second half, the Niners come out. They start the third quarter with a touchdown. And then Kirk throws a pick. And he thinks, oh, God, the wheels are falling off the bus. So like a turtle, he pulls into his shell. And ever since then, he's been a much more conservative quarterback. He hasn't been putting the ball up and letting it rip like he did against the Packers and the Chargers. Now, some of those great throws and those gaudy offensive numbers against the Packers and the Chargers were related to good luck. Darnell Savage dropped some interceptions, and there was no doubt some good luck in that game against the Chargers too. But it's also good process, right? And the thing about good process is you just got to stick with it through any bad luck. You might have some misses. It's like drafting, right? GMs trust their board because more often than not, it's going to give them the right answer. You might have some drafts where you don't get a whole lot of hits, but that doesn't mean you rethink your whole philosophy. No, that means you had some bad luck. You come back the next year, you do it again, and you're going to have hits. With Kirk, he had two great games with a lot of good luck, but the process was also great. Mike Zimmer said it himself. We want Kirk to push the ball. We want him to throw the ball down the field. And you know what? If we have turnovers because we're being aggressive, fine, we'll live with it. He had one turnover against the Niners, for being aggressive, and he immediately said, nope, that's it, we're done, I'm not doing this anymore. No, you gotta keep pushing, you gotta keep going, keep throwing the ball, because even though you had that interception, well, if you keep the process up, you're gonna find Justin Jefferson, you're gonna find Adam Thielen, even like, I love Tyler Conklin, I love KJ Osborne, the Vikings have some dudes, but that one interception in San Fran made Kirk Cousins go, nope, 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 I need to be in control, I'm not putting the ball up for grabs, I'm not throwing the ball unless I know exactly where it's going, and if I have to check the ball down for two yards on third and ten, then damn it, I'm giving the ball to C.J. Ham. you know? He hasn't been the same quarterback since the Niners game, and this is kind of the problem with Kirk Cousins. Uh, we have a text here from Jason in Eau Claire. Jason says, what song was playing at the start of the segment? Uh, that is The Less I Know the Better by Tame Impala. <laughs> It's an instrumental, though. Excellent song. Great song. Uh, we were talking about Grateful Dead earlier. What Tame Impala songs do we like? I mean, the basic ones. We have The Less I Know, The Better. We have Waves, the Tame Impala remix, which is great. Um, the list of, what is it called? List of People to Forget About or something, which is off one of the EPs. Really great. I love the song Breathe Deeper. That's excellent. It's a little newer. Talk about Tame Impala. But yeah. Very good song. Thank you, Jason, in Eau Claire for the text. The mayor in New Glarus says, just think if Rodgers had that talent. What do you mean, Kirk Cousins' talent? Kirk, see, Aaron Rodgers is just better than Kirk. That's the thing. Aaron Rodgers can both push the ball down the field and be aggressive without needing to put the ball in harm's way. Kirk needs to be aggressive. And when he has a turnover, he needs to have a short memory and come back and do it again. What do we always say about quarterbacks? Have a short memory. If you need to make a mistake, you need to come back out the next drive and not let it affect you. Kirk lets it affect him. And I think in his mind, he thinks it's a good thing. Oh, I had a turnover. I got to be careful. No. Go make up for that turnover. I'm making a great-ass throw down the field to Justin Jefferson. Don't don't come into your shell like a turtle and now start dumping the ball down to C.J. Ham when it's third and ten, which is all too often what happens with Kirk Cousins. Aaron Rodgers can have it both ways. He can push the ball down the field and be aggressive and not turn it over because he's much better than Kirk. Right, but Kirk, another thing, Kirk's got some great security blankets. Adam Thielen is a star. He's so good. And Justin Jefferson is a stud. More often than not, they're going to win their one-on-ones. Aaron Rodgers can't say the same. I mean, Devontae Adams probably will, but MVS is not Thielen. He's not Jefferson. Same with Lazard. Kirk's just got to let his guys make plays. Short memory, and that's all too often the issue with Kirk. All right, we're late for a break. Got to take a break. We can keep talking about the Vikings. If you want to text or call, I'll take you. Absolutely. 
I also want to talk about a couple of other games yesterday that taught us a thing or two about our Packers, the Broncos, the Chiefs, uh, the Steelers, and the Ravens as well. I want to talk about some of these games and what these games taught me about the Packers. That's coming up next on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show. Thanks for being here. My name is Grant Bills. Twitter at Wisco Grant. Jason and Eau Claire to start the uh, last segment texted in and was like, hey, 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 hey. That's in my head. That's what Jason sounds like. He's like, what song was that? And it was Tame Impala. Less I know the better. If you like that, Jason, you should listen to this song. This was the song that got me into Tame Impala, which is weird because it's not nearly as big of a hit as Less I Know the Better. But this is just... And the piano in this song... I'm going to tie this back into what we were talking about earlier. The piano in this song is bopping. And I don't play piano. I used to. But listen to this. Now, now... Watch me as a professional radio host tie this back into what we talked about at 4.30, which was the Grateful Dead. If you want to talk about Grateful Dead, you got to talk about Brett Midland, my favorite keyboardist of any of the Grateful Dead setups. And his keyboard reminds me a lot of the keyboard that's in this song. So there we go. Full circle. Uh, sports. Sports ball. Vikings. Yes. We're talking about that. Uh, they, lost, they lost to the Lions. And you know what? Vikings fans, I don't, I'm not going to be a poor sport here. I'm not going to drag you. You guys beat us a couple weeks ago. It looked really good. And you know what? Honestly, there's a scenario in which the Vikings sneak in as a seven seed and beat the Packers at Lambeau in the playoffs. I can absolutely see it, 100%. Uh, but as of right now, I just want to say to Vikings fans, I appreciate your team. And your team has provided a crucial service to my show and my, my livelihood, my ability to put food on the table. Because twice this season, the Packers have not played. And both of those times, the Vikings said, hey, we got this. We will give you content. The first time was when the Packers played on Thursday Night Football. And the following Sunday, the Vikings came off a bye on Sunday Night Football and took the bullet and lost to Cooper Rush. And they said, you know what? The Packers didn't play. What is Grant going to talk about? All right, we'll lose to a backup. And then this weekend with the Packers on bye, the Vikings were like, hey, we don't want to do it, but we will. All right, Lions, go ahead. Grant needs a lead for his show tomorrow. Go out. We'll be selfless. We'll do it for the content. Go off. Thank you, Vikings. The show appreciates you. Provided a crucial service to my ability to put food on the table in my livelihood. And for that, I commend you. If you'd like to talk Vikings or Packers or Bears, or if you're a Lions fan, call me. I'm, I will talk about anything. I'll get into anything. 608-796-2558. Twitter at Wisco Grant. In the meantime... I have a couple of other games I want to talk about because I think they all showed us something either about football as a whole, and Packers fans, we should always be wanting to learn more about football as a whole, or specifically something about our team. I'll start with something football as a whole, okay? Steelers-Ravens was the best, worst game of football this season. I slept through the first three and a half quarters, and then as the fourth quarter was ticking away, I thought, oh, wait, this is, wait, it's close. Shoot, I gotta pay, I gotta pay attention. This is good. <laughs> And then the game climaxed with a win-or-lose two-point conversion basically as the buzzer went off. I don't know. I don't know if it was like three or four seconds left. Like, there was no time left. And the Ravens got a touchdown and decided to go for the win by going for two instead of kicking the extra point. They didn't get it. 
and now everyone's mad because John Harbaugh is a slave to analytics and he plays too much Madden and he lives in a fantasy land. Look, I am not a math guy. I'm not obsessed with analytics. I like learning more about what numbers teach us about sports. We had Eric Eager on the show last week. I'm reading a book right now that I'm enjoying very much called The Midrange Theory, written by friend of show Seth Partnow. We should have him back on. I bet he'll come on. He'll be like, can I promote the book? I'll be like, yeah, sure, but you got to talk about bucks too. Good. Well, we'll write that down. Someone write that down. Ask Seth. Hold on. I posted notes right here. I'll leave this on my desk. Seth, this week. Perfect. Seth Partnow. I am not obsessed with analytics, but I think it's very interesting what the numbers can tell us about sports and what stats matter and which don't. The problem is everybody wants to make everything about analytics, and it's so annoying. You watch Fox, and I like Joe Buck. I t- Troy's fine. I don't love or hate Troy. He's fine. But anytime a coach makes a decision or a player makes a decision or whatever, Troy will obnoxiously say, you know, Joe, I, I know what the analytics say, but I, I just don't agree with this. It's not, not everything is about analytics. Not everything's about analytics. When I go grocery shopping and I'm trying to decide whether I want the great value brand of cheese sticks or the expensive kind, and I was like, well, what does $3 really mean to me? Do I want the quality or do I want to you know, get another item before leaving the store? I'm half waiting for Troy to hop in my ear and be like, well, Grant, I know what the analytics say, but I think you should kind of get the better brand. It's not, it's not all about analytics. Sometimes it's just the flow of the game feel of the game think of it this way the Ravens are on the road and they're banged up to all hell they're missing so many starters do they have a better chance of winning in overtime or do they have a better chance of getting two yards that's the question and it doesn't even have to come down to a percent or a win probability although lots of very smart sports analytics people will tell you their model says 53% here and and, and 56% here or 45 and 55 I'm not even asking about win probability. I'm asking you, as a football fan who watches these games, did you think the Ravens yesterday had a better chance to win the coin toss and go down and score in overtime or or lose the coin toss, get a stop, and then score in overtime? Or do you think they had a better chance of getting two yards to get into the end zone? They have Lamar Jackson, who's really good. It's, it's got to be the two yards, right? Why complicate it? Let's decide the game right here and now. If we can't get two yards, then we lose. Why leave it up to a coin flip and a kickoff and a long drive? We're on the doorstep. End it or don't. I like it. However, I would have been okay with them just playing for overtime too. I think the Ravens are a better team than the Steelers, but they're really banged up and they're on the road. No problem with going for two. None. Right now, I think John John Harbaugh has a great coach of the year case. I don't think he's going to win it because I don't think their team is going to win enough games. The Ravens beat up and Lamar's not playing especially well. I saw this tweet earlier today from StatMuse. The Ravens have lost running back one, two, three, cornerback one and two, and an all-pro left tackle to season-ending injuries, and they're somehow eight and four. And they're in every single game. Now, they've won the same number of games by multiple scores as the Houston Texans, so that knife cuts both ways. But I think John Harbaugh could be coach of the year. I don't think he will be because I don't think the Ravens are going to win enough games, like I said. But they find ways in the margins to win games that they maybe don't have business winning. Yesterday was the same thing. It's not about analytics, all right? You're two yards away from winning the game. Do you want to go for it and get those two yards and live and die with the result? Or do you want it to leave it to a coin toss and then a long drive and maybe put your defense on the field? And then maybe even if you win the coin toss, well, now you're how many yards away from the end zone, right? I, I think it's smart. And I don't know what the win probability is. I'm not a mathematician. I'm not a calculus teacher, okay? This isn't hard. 
And every time I hear somebody say something like, well, I know what the analytics say, but what? you're making it about analytics. Stop bringing up analytics. Just think about it with common sense. It doesn't always have to be based in stats and probability. Another game I want to talk about, Broncos Chiefs last night. Kind of a snoozer. Well, a snoozer relative to maybe what we hoped. I was hoping the Broncos could keep it a little closer and maybe we'd have a little bit more entertaining game. Whatever. It was all right in the end because I could put it on mute on one TV and then watch Succession on the other. So whatever. It wasn't the end of the world. Um, And I'm hoping tonight's game. I got a lot of stock in tonight's game being good. At least the game tonight, whatever result will be interesting. If the Patriots blow them out, fascinating. If the Bills blow them out, fascinating. If it's close, great. We all win. There's no way that tonight's game doesn't end interesting. Now, it might suck to watch, but it's going to be interesting, and it's going to tell us something. Chiefs-Broncos last night, I don't know how interesting it was. The Chiefs moved 8-4. and They're tied for the most wins in the AFC. But I wouldn't say they're back on offense. And if you watch, like, they're not inspiring confidence in you, right? Like, you didn't watch that game last night and think, wow, look out, the Chiefs are back. Now, their defense has gotten a lot better, and that's good for them. But their offense is not the same offense. And I don't think this offense is coming back. This offense isn't what it's been, and I don't think it's showing up anytime soon. They remind me a lot of the Dallas offense and how they look. They started the year fantastic, but then they've fallen off. Except the thing with Dallas is they've suffered injuries, and they've, you know, they've, they've had issues. Kansas City's pretty darn healthy. They have Tyreek Hill. They have Travis Kelsey. Right now, they... We're without Clyde Edwards-Hilaire for a little amount of time, but I don't even think he's that good. So who really who really cares, right? I don't. Their offense yesterday, albeit against a solid defense, scored, what, 13 points? Because one of those touchdowns was from Daniel Sorensen on a pick six. So they beat the Broncos, offensively speaking, 13 to nine. That's not impressive. All of their good plays on offense are improvised. They have no foundation. They have no base scheme. They have nothing good except for when Patrick Mahomes can make his magic. And he can, but that's not how you want to live and die. Packers fans know this. When the only offense for the Packers has been Aaron Rodgers huddles up, draws something up in the ground, and, you know, go. That has not been the best Packers offense. 2016, it was fun to watch, but they couldn't hang with Kyle Shanahan and the Falcons. They were lucky to beat Zeke and a rookie quarterback in Dak in Dallas. Right? With Mahomes. There have been a lot of bad luck interceptions, but not all of them. The interception that went off the hands of Tyreek Hill last night, man, hit him in the chest. Don't throw it up at his forehead. Tyreek Hill's not that tall. So I I get now we see Chiefs turnovers. We're like, well, that's just bad luck. Well, some, but not all, not all. Mahomes needs to be a little bit less sloppy, and this team needs to get back to basics on offense and actually execute. But the problem is they've never had to execute because Mahomes has always been magic and Kelsey's always been amazing and Hill's always been amazing. What happens when Mahomes isn't unreal and Kelsey isn't unreal? Well, now we get this. They score 13 points at home against the Broncos and they win 22-9. to On the Denver side, and this is something we learn about the Packers, I wanted to mention Javante Williams, stud running back, rookie, super fun to watch. I have him in a fantasy league and he did very well for me last night. So I was in tune with what he was doing. And everyone's celebrating him, talking him up. Great. He was fun to watch. Absolutely. He had 178 scrimmage yards. He had 3.17 yards after contact. That's awesome. But even all of that considered, he scored nine points. The Broncos scored nine points. That's not to take anything away from Javante Williams. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this. A great running back who's physical and breaks tackles and imposes his will is great. 
But you can't live and die with a guy like that. And this is why sometimes I preach caution with A.J. Dillon. A.J. Dillon is excellent, and he's a very useful tool that the Packers have. But to talk about the Packers' offense as a whole and chalk it up to, whoa, they can just give the ball to A.J. Dillon. It's not the most efficient way to run offense. And with a banged-up offensive line, you're really leaving yourself out to dry because what did we talk about last week at Eric Eager? A perfectly blocked run play is unreal efficient. It's fantastic. But if one little thing goes wrong in a run set, it all comes crashing down. It's much more versatile. It's not nearly as resilient as a passing play. So for the Packers, who have a dinged-up offensive line, an offensive line that really wasn't designed to be a great run-blocking offensive line in the first place, you're running a really inefficient brand of offense. I say all that to say this. Javante Williams is great. A.J. Dillon is great. But for the offense as a whole, its ceiling is only as high as the passing attack and, and, and the other things around the stud running back. Because if your offense is, well, I don't know, we'll give the ball to Javante Williams or A.J. Dillon and they'll figure it out, eh, you're going to win some games and it's going to be really impressive. The A.J. Dillon game against the Titans last year in the snow. The rest of the offense is pretty darn good. Devontae Adams was on one that game. It was unreal. You need other things around that stud running back. Stud running back is important. Very, very useful player. Can play a very important role in the offense. But if that's all you have, as in last night, that's all the Broncos had, well, then you score nine points. And you don't even make it a competitive game against a divisional rival. Let's take a break. One final segment of the Wisco Sports Show coming up after this. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Now, in Green Bay, here's Mike Clemens. The Packers are back at work today. They host the Bears Sunday night, Chicago losing to the Cardinals yesterday. The Packers have nine players on IR, six with season-ending injuries. Over the weekend, they got back Jonathan Garvin off the COVID reserve list. That'll help with depth at outside linebacker and special teams. Inside linebacker Devondre Campbell remains on the COVID list, but could be back by the end of this week. Randall Cobb rehabbing a groin injury suffered against the Rams. That means more reps for Amari Rogers, whose father coached Cobb at Kentucky. Amari asked if it bothers him having to give up playing time to Randall. No, nah, no. Nah. I think we both have the same mindset that, you know, we're here to win. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter what how many snaps we get, how many balls we get. You know, we just hit her. You know, he already has a trust of 12, so I'm just trying to earn the trust of 12. You know, whenever we get our opportunities, we're going to make those plays so we can win the Super Bowl. The Packers have five regular season games remaining, three at home. On offense, A.J. Dillon looking to carry the load at running back in those cold-weather games. I really, genuinely, I couldn't tell you how many rushing yards I have, how many passing yards or any of that stuff. Uh, I know everybody says they're not a stat guy, but... I really, I really don't know. I couldn't tell you. I'm just really happy with the progress I see each week. I set goals for myself. I keep accomplishing those. I'm getting more comfortable. Best Packers coverage. Wisco Sports Show, final segment. My name is Grant Bills. Hope you had a great weekend. Glad you could hang out for a little bit today. Remember, the podcast is available just after 6 o'clock. Got to give me a couple of minutes, you know, actually cut it up and edit it and post it. But about 6.15, normally it goes up. We talked about Kirk Cousins, future of the Vikings, Mike Zimmer, Dan Campbell, feel-good story. Talked about the Bears and the Cardinals and maybe how you can beat the Cardinals. Maybe, just, just maybe. Packers showed you can beat them up a little bit, run on them. The Bears tried to do the same thing yesterday and actually did a pretty good job. The problem is they just kept coughing up a ball, so it didn't really matter. Also, those Cardinals did not look good in the conditions. 
So those Cardinals better pray for the number one seed. I would love to see them play at Lambeau. Talk about all that and a couple of yesterday's games as well, so you can find it all in the pod. One final thing I want to reiterate here at the end of the show, and it's the topic that we were just talking about last night in the Broncos and Javante Williams. And he's a stud, and he's fun to watch. And yes, I love it. I have him in fantasy. I would have loved the Packers to get him, although it wouldn't have made a whole lot of sense because they have A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones. I don't, probably don't need to use another second-round pick on a running back, which is where Denver got him. Everyone's gassing him up. He had 178 scrimmage yards last night, 3.17 yards after contact, and the Broncos scored nine points. So in the end, what did it all mean? This is why I preach caution with A.J. Dillon. It's great to have the physical running back. It's awesome. It's a great tool in the toolbox. But if you don't have anything else, then you're doomed to play a really inefficient brand of football that might be manly, and it might be awesome, and it might kick's ass, but the offense as a whole isn't going to be great. You need everything else. Today, this is for the video game crowd, I was thinking about A.J. Dillon and Javante Williams. They're basically shotguns on Call of Duty. Remember in Modern Warfare, I'm not playing Vanguard or the new one, but I was on Modern Warfare two years ago, and you had the 725, which was broken. It was such a good shotgun. Or like in Black Ops, what did they have? They had the Olympia, they had the Spaz 12, or the the one with the drum. What was it called in Modern Warfare 2? Whatever. You know the shotguns, right? On a limited number of maps on every Call of Duty game, there's always a couple. You think of Shoot House, or you think of Rust, or Shipment, uh, Nuketown, and Black Ops. I'm trying to think of the other small maps. Maybe a small Mac and Black Ops too. That's not the point. There's always a couple of maps in every game that are really small. And you run around with a shotgun and you piss people off and you knock them off their game. Just like you can beat people up and knock them off their game with really physical running backs. But at the end of the day, if you're playing Call of Duty and you're trying to win games and you're trying to keep your KD up and you're trying to stack store streaks, you want that chopper gunner, you want care package, whatever. You need another gun. You can't just go full shotgun. At least not all of the time. You need something else to help you need an SMG, you need an assault rifle, you need a sniper, you need something. A shotgun can make you really, really, really unstoppable, but only if you are skilled with another weapon that you're running around with, right? And it's the same in football. Javante Williams, A.J. Dillon, Derrick Henry, these physical running backs can be teams' absolute 100% secret weapon. But if there's nothing around that running back, if there's no good scheme, if there's no wide receivers, if there's no protection, if there's, like, all of that stuff, then you just have a physical running back, and it might kick ass, and you're running over defenders, and it's great on a highlight reel, and there's good stiff arms, but in the end, it doesn't mean a whole lot, right? Because it's just physical running. And the Broncos scored nine points last night. Their running back had the best performance of scrimmage than anyone else in Week 11 or Week 12 or whatever week it is, but they scored nine points, and that's the cautionary tale from becoming A.J. Dillon-centric. He's a great piece, but like a shotgun in Call of Duty, he can't be your only thing. Otherwise, you're a one-trick pony, and you don't win as many games. You don't score as many points. Tomorrow, Mike Clemens will join us at 5.30. That's all I have on the books, although at some point this week, we got to get Seth Partnow on. He just dropped a new book. We can talk bucks with him. Maybe Justin Garcia, because the Grateful Dead talk today was popping, too. So that's coming up. Enjoy Monday Night Football. It's going to be a good one. Back tomorrow on the Whisker Sports Show. (laughs) 